Hello, car fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, and around the world. It's time for the greatest day in racing, featuring the Grand Prix of Monaco. The 101st running of the Indianapolis 500 mile race. and the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Coca-Cola 600. This week on Speedway Sounds, this Sunday, May 28th, is the greatest day in racing. It starts with the crown jewel of Formula One, the Grand Prix of Monaco, in the morning hours for us here in the United States. Then the crown jewel for the Verizon IndyCar Series with the 101st Indianapolis 500 mile race. The last event of the day is the longest, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Coca-Cola 600-mile race. I'll preview all of these events, going into as much detail and analysis as I have time for today. All that and more on this week's Speedway Sounds. Welcome to the Greatest Day in Racing preview special. The 75th running of the Formula One Monaco Grand Prix will be run this Thursday through Sunday. As Speedway Sounds F1 analyst Tristan Cortez and I will talk about, the 2009 world champion and 2009 Monaco winner Jensen Button will replace Fernando Alonso in the McLaren Honda for the race. This will be the first time that Alonso has missed Monaco since 2002. For those of you who do not follow F1, there will be 10 teams of two cars each competing in this race. Ferrari, Force India, Haas, McLaren, Mercedes-Benz, Red Bull, Renault, Sauber, Toro Rosso, and Williams. They will be competing as constructors, and Mercedes-Benz, Ferrari, Renault, and Honda are the engine suppliers. All the cars will use Pirelli tires as they have since 2011. Free practices 1 and 2 will be held on Thursday, followed by free practice 3, and qualifying on Saturday for the Grand Prix on Sunday. In the last five years of the race, there's only one winner currently still active on the circuit, Lewis Hamilton, who won last year and is now going for his third Monaco win. Nico Rosberg won three consecutive times from 2013 to 2015, and Mark Webber won in 2012. Both of them are now retired. Sebastian Vettel looks for his second win after winning with Red Bull in 2011, and it would be a fantastic one if he were to win for Ferrari this time. Looking ahead at the weather for Monaco, only a 10% chance of rain, so very likely we're going to have a dry race for the first race of this greatest day in racing. And so the three tires on offer from Pirelli will be the soft, the super soft, and the ultra soft, which are the three fastest compounds of tires. But they're also the three that last the least amount of time. And so with that, let's bring in Speedway Sounds F1 analyst Tristan Cortez. And this is the interview we, this is the remainder from the interview we pre-recorded last week. It'll also have an update for the past week's events at Indianapolis and Monaco. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he'll stay. And that's more about McLaren. McLaren wants Alonzo. Well, a lot more than Alonzo wants McLaren, you, you've got to think, uh, if it continues being the way it is towards the, towards the end of the season. Yeah, and if you look at McLaren, their chassis is really good. It's competitive, I mean, which is obviously proven by Alonso securing P7 in qualifying. So just the time that he lost was in the straights due to the lack of power. So if Honda get their act together and make the engine competitive, there's definitely a chance that McLaren could be fighting at the top of the field. Force India is been one of the better teams this season and out of the midfield. 
They've scored points with both drivers in every race so far, and they're solidly in fourth. Do you think they might have a shot at catching Red Bull in the long run with great reliability? Because Red Bull's had some retirements this season already. Yeah, I think Force India, they're just completely taking over that midfield. They have a really huge gap over Toro Rosso, about 32 points. So they're just up and away being really consistent with both drivers, with Perez and Ocon, and they're doing a fantastic job. Both Perez finishing fourth and Ocon fifth in uh, Spain, so that gave him a huge boost. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I definitely think they can take the challenge to Red Bull. I mean, their goal at the beginning of the season was to was to make that step up into third, and with the issues that that Red Bull is having, um, I think it's definitely a possibility. I mean, you're only 19 points down from Red Bull. If Red Bull continues to struggle and Forcini remains that consistency, I think definitely they could catch them and, and give them a, a run for their money. And then coming back to McLaren, Pascal Verlein scored points for Sauber at Spain, leaving McLaren as the only team without points out of all the teams. Has Honda stepped up their game at all in the last two uh, race weekends? Tell us about what's been going on with the Honda engine. Yeah, well, first of all, shout out to Pascal Verlein. What a drive by him, you know. Missing the first couple Grand Prix of the season, people questioning his performance and his spot in Formula One. But I think he proved a lot of his doubters wrong, getting that points finish in Spain, running a, a brilliant one-stop strategy. He was P7, but unfortunately he got a time penalty, so he ended up P8. But still, four solid points for Sauer, which is already more than their total in 2016 with two. So. Yeah. And they only got those two points in Brazil. This is the penultimate race of the season. So getting these points this early is a huge plus and really, really good job by Pascal. In terms of McLaren, Honda have not seemed to made much progress in terms of the power unit. Alonso in FP1 had a engine blowout. And when the marshals lifted that car, you could see oil seeping out of the back of the car. And it was just spilling everywhere. And he didn't get to run in FP1 or FP2. And he uh, decided to release some stress by going and playing tennis. So, yeah. And then Van Dorn had a tough race. Surprisingly, he didn't retire due to the power unit. He had a crash with Felipe Massa. Alonso... Um, showing his talent as a driver, driving the wheels off of that McLaren, securing P7 and Q3. The engine just needs more work, but I don't, I haven't seen any signs that Honda is improving. I think that P7 was purely on Alonso's skill and the chassis that McLaren has. In the last couple of weeks, speaking of Honda, the the very surprising news is that Honda is going to partner with a second team for next year, even though they are struggling so much. Tell us about that. Yeah, Sauber announced that they're going to be partnering with Honda for 2018. So it's going to be Sauber-Honda. I think in the long run, it is a good move by Sauber. Yeah, obviously right now, Honda is struggling a lot. But with a second team, they could get a lot more data on that engine. They'll have more data to uh, develop the engine and find any issues. And then for Sauber... I'm pretty sure Honda is going to be giving them some type of funding because the state the Honda engine is in right now, I'm pretty sure Honda is giving it for next to nothing to teams because of just how poor it is. If Honda becomes competitive and they sort out their issues, Sauber is going to have a current engine for the upcoming seasons, not a year-old engine like they have now and their engine partnership with Ferrari. In the long run, I think it could definitely help them if Honda sorts the engine out. 
they'll have funding from Honda as well to keep them in Formula One if they ever fail to score or anything like that. But that's only if Honda sort out their issues. If and only if. And that is a massive bet at this point. Yeah. Worth millions of dollars. And it's so strange because it seems like Honda have gone backwards. You know, 2016, they seem to, they did okay, you know. Uh, Alonso and Button scoring points here and there when they could. 2017 has just been worse than the previous year, which is very odd. Many, many F1 fans will be staying tuned to the day's racing action because Fernando Alonso will be skipping this year's Monaco Grand Prix to compete in the 101st Indianapolis 500 as part of a special arrangement between McLaren Honda and Andretti Autosport. First, Tristan, how do you think Jensen Button will do as McLaren's reserve driver since he plans to only compete in this Monaco Grand Prix replacing Fernando Alonso, especially considering the major car changes? Well, I think Jensen Button will fare quite well in uh, in Monaco. Yeah, he hasn't been racing in Formula One, but he's only been off for like five races since he did run a full season in 2016. And he's been keeping fit, so that shouldn't be an issue since he's a avid triathlon runner. So yeah, he's he's fit. And although he hasn't taken the MCL 32 out on track, he has done extensive work in the McLaren simulator. So I'm sure he's he's accustomed to the handling of the car. He'll just build upon that and work on setting up the car and getting used to it throughout the weekend. What do you think are the most important things for us to know about the Monaco Grand Prix itself? Well, the Monaco Grand Prix is obviously a a race and a track steeped in a lot of history, with the first race being held there in 1955 with the legend Juan Manuel Fangio winning there. It's one of the most challenging circuits on the Formula One calendar with some of the most iconic corners like Saint-Devot, Beau Rivage, Casino Square, the Tunnel, the Harbour Chicane, and Raskas, which is a very challenging corner, and the fast uh, left-right-handers of the swimming pool. So very demanding on the drivers. And the all-time win leader is the great Ayrton Senna with uh, six wins in Monaco. He could have made it seven, but he had that infamous crash coming out of the Lowe's hairpin complex in 1988. Definitely a huge spectacle for F1. Every time before a race, I usually ask you for your prediction on Twitter. I know first practice isn't until Thursday, but do you have a prediction yet? Yes, I do, Noah. I think pole position will go to Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari. Uh, I think they'll get their setup right around the track, and they also have a shorter wheelbase than the Mercedes, so that will definitely help them around the tight corners. For the race, I'm going to say Sebastian Vettel takes the win in Monaco with Lewis Hamilton second, and... I'm going to say Kimi Raikkonen in third, so a double podium from Ferrari. You don't believe in any surprise victors this time around? Who knows? Um, With these wider cars, I'm not sure if the drivers are going to be as daring to overtake because they're so wide compared to the 2016 cars. Maybe Force India could get into a scrap. Sergio Perez has scored a podium there in 2015, so Force India could be fighting up there for a podium. Now to the Indianapolis 500. Fernando Alonso this entire week has shown what kind of driver he is and how one can adapt from F1 to IndyCar. Both series are open wheel racing series. Of course, Formula One is only road courses. IndyCar involves ovals as the Indianapolis 500 is. What are your comments on Alonso's crossover performance so far? I think he's been doing great transitioning from F1 to IndyCar. He uh, lapped the fastest in the rookie practice session for the Indy 500, and in the first qualifying session, he did P7, which is phenomenal out of a 33-car grid and him being his first go in IndyCar. He's a driver with 
a great amount of talent. He's always performed well. When he's had inferior machinery or equipment, he's always seemed to get that extra ounce out of it and put it in positions that any other driver normally wouldn't. So yeah, it's a testament to the great driver that Alonso is. What does this crossover mean for the world of motorsport, especially since Alonso does have this great chance of winning? I think it has great effects on motorsport. I think it's a win-win situation for Formula One and IndyCar because a lot of the Formula One fans are going to be tuning into the Indy 500 because of Alonso's presence and it introduces the series to a whole another group of racing fans. And for F1, I think it shows just how elite the drivers in F1 are since Alonso can just you know have a go at Indy first time and do incredibly well and and Alexander Rossi as well winning it last year since he was in F1 for for about half a season winning it last year that's another testament to the talent that the F1 drivers have if there is one thing in Alonso's way it is his engine Throughout the entire week so far at Indianapolis, Honda have had some problems with their engines, losing six since the very beginning of practice last Monday. Chris Medlin, Formula One journalist, tweeted, Alonzo asked if he was nervous with the engine problem. The engine problem referring to having to change an engine before the final round of qualifying on Sunday. Alonzo said, quote, I'm used to changing engines before quality and the race. Alexander Rossi, 2016 Indy 500 champion, quipped, it's your specialty. Yeah, a great moment there between uh, Alonso and Rossi. And uh, yeah, it just seems like uh, Honda can't seem to run away from these uh, engine problems. Um, hopefully it doesn't cause a uh, retirement for Alonso because that would be pretty disastrous. You know, him trying to, to go for this win, to have that bad luck carry over from F1 is something I'm sure he will not be happy about. Something he's trying to, I guess, run away from by doing this race, you know, because Honda have been doing well in IndyCar. But if he does win, if Alonso does win, that gives him two out of three trophies for the triple crown of worldwide motorsport, which is Monaco, Indy, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Only one driver has ever accomplished that, Graham Hill, almost 40 to 50 years ago. Alonso won the Monaco Grand Prix twice, 2005-2006, and has this amazing shot at Indy. What would it mean to him to have that second leg of the crown? I think he'll be very happy, and uh, it'll just increase his stature as one of the elite drivers in the world. If he does win the Indy 500 to win it in his first attempt, would be a really huge boost for him and really give him a leg up as a driver. Le Mans, though, we'll see if uh, Alonso goes to Le Mans in the near future. I mean, obviously, with the problems McLaren-Honda is having in Formula 1, it's a little bit soon to say anything whether Alonso will stay in F1 or perhaps move to IndyCar or just leave F1 altogether and pursue Le Mans. And if he doesn't win, if he comes extremely close to winning, perhaps, do you think he tries it again? I think he does. Alonso is obviously a competitive guy, and if he doesn't win, he'll have one year of experience running the Indy 500. The thirst for him to win would be that much greater. And uh, we'll see if McLaren decide to run a IndyCar for a full season because this crossover has generated a lot of attention. It's been really, really positive. We'll see what the future holds for McLaren and IndyCar. Great to hear from you as always, Tristan. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, no problem, Noah. Great to be on here talking about motorsport and the uh, greatest day in racing, which should be a fun-filled day for everyone. Can't wait to watch it. Definitely. That's Tristan Cortez, Speedway Sounds F1 analyst, talking about Monaco and Indianapolis. Here are some more storylines from the Indy 500.
So the Indianapolis Motor Speedway hosted several days of practice for the Indy cars, beginning with the rookie orientation program on Monday. The four rookies attempting to qualify at that time were Fernando Alonso, Jack Harvey, Ed Jones, and Zach Veach. Jay Howard, Oriol Servia, and Sebastian Saavedra completed refresher programs that same day. Later that evening, Marco Andretti led the first practice session open to everyone with a speed of 226.3 miles per hour. Jack Harvey crashed in practice with his number 50 entry due to a mechanical failure, and Graham Rayle brought concern to Honda's camp of cars when his number 15 suffered an engine failure on that first day. Will Power led Tuesday's session, which was hampered by warm temperatures and significant winds, holding the speed to just 224.6 miles per hour. On Wednesday, the winds were even worse, and most teams chose not to run. Ed Carpenter, however, set the best lap at only 222.8 miles per hour. Thursday brought better track conditions, and all 33 entrants ran that day. Jay Howard, making his first appearance in the 500 since 2011, set the fastest time of the week at that point with 226.6 miles per hour. Joseph Newgarden crashed his car in turn one, and Sebastian Bourdais' Honda engine failed, the second failure of the week for Honda. On Fast Friday, IndyCar loosened the reins on the engine and allowed 10 more kilopascals of boost. This immediately boosted speeds, with Sebastian Bourdais setting the fastest time of 233.1 miles per hour. Jack Harvey's Honda engine expired, and with other engine failures off track, Honda suffered a total of five at that point, causing grave concern. Racer.com reported Friday that Honda was imposing practice limits on the teams to preserve the life of the engines, but Harvey's engine blew up after only 11 laps of practice that day. As I just discussed with Tristan, I hope Honda can turn things around for the 500 itself. Rain stopped practice early. Saturday was the first day of qualifications. There were two major headlines heading in. Would Fernando Alonso be able to qualify well? Would he find the limits and crash when he tried pushing further beyond them? And would either Honda or Chevrolet dominate? Rain caused a major delay of qualifying, which meant each car had only one attempt to advance to the Fast 9 on Sunday. That meant everyone had to guess just how hard to push their cars, how many aerodynamic flaps to leave on the car to add downforce through the uh, track's 9 degrees of banking and various other setup adjustments. 32 of the 33 cars made an attempt, but only 31 finished. On his third lap of four, Sebastian Bourdais lost control of his car in turn number two, crashing head-on into the wall in what IndyCar later announced was over 100 Gs of acceleration and at a, an impact speed of 227 miles per hour. Bourdais' number 18 immediately rolled over once before landing on its floor. Bourdais had to be extricated from the car and was immediately transported to the Methodist Hospital, which is well known for treating race car drivers after Indy 500 accidents. It was announced that Saturday evening that Bourdais survived, but had season-ending injuries to his pelvis and hip. He underwent a successful surgery overnight and has since made a public statement reassuring everyone that he will be alright. This crash will not only keep him out of the 500, of course, but he will also miss his commitment with Ford Chip Ganassi Racing at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in June. A little bit of personal commentary on that. It is through the incredible engineering of the safer barrier, the steel and foam energy reduction barriers, as well as the Hans device, the head and neck restraint. Also, several structural improvements made to the Dallara IndyCar chassis over the years contributed to Bourdais' survival. It is really unfortunate that the fastest driver and the fastest car at Indianapolis will not compete in the 500. At the end of the day, nine drivers were selected to compete in the Fast 9. Ed Carpenter, who set the top speed of 230.468 miles per hour, 
was followed by Takuma Sato, Scott Dixon, J.R. Hildebrand, Alexander Rossi, Will Power, Fernando Alonso, Tony Kanan, and Marco Andretti. The rest were to requalify on Sunday for positions 10 through 33. At the end of the day Sunday, Scott Dixon earned the pole position with the speed much faster than anyone else that day of 232.164 miles per hour, which is the fastest four-lap qualifying run in Indy since 1996. Unfortunately, I don't have time to go through the entire starting grid like I intended. I have to go straight to the Coca-Cola 600 for the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Last weekend was the first weekend of racing action at the Charlotte Motor Speedway with the Monster Energy All-Star Race and the Camping World Truck Series. Kyle Busch dominated the truck race last weekend, winning all three stages. And in the All-Star Race, he made a fantastic pass from third to the lead on the final restart and led the last 10 laps, winning $1 million. The biggest disappointment was that even with NASCAR taking a page from Formula One and IndyCar's playbook by creating an option tire, there were only three green flag passes for the lead through the 70 laps. For the stages in this Coca-Cola 600, if you've been following the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series with the stages, there will be four stages in this race instead of the usual three in a cup race. This means that there are 10 more championship points on offer, as well as one more playoff point, which will play into the strategy a lot. The stages will be 100 laps each. So four stages, 400 laps at a one and a half mile track for 600 miles. Other storylines include Eric Almarola's crash at Kansas two weekends ago. Regan Smith replaced him in the number 43 for the All-Star race. However, a replacement for his number 43 this weekend at the Coke 600 and beyond for the next 8 or 12 weeks has not yet been announced. A couple of statistics real quick. Jimmy Johnson has the best starting position and leads all active drivers in laps led at Charlotte in both the 600 and the Bank of America 500 at 1,895. And last year, Martin Truex put on the best driving performance of his career by absolutely dominating the 600, leading more than 380 laps out of 400 after starting on pole position and scoring the victory. Before that, the previous five Coca-Cola 600s were won by Carl Edwards, Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, Casey Kane, and again, Kevin Harvick. Bob Pockress reports that the same resin that was used to improve the groove at Bristol last month will be used this week on the high groove in the corners at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which means NASCAR is putting a sticky substance on the track to improve traction for all the tires and hopefully improve the competition throughout the 400 laps. A couple of concerns for Sunday include rain for both Indianapolis and Charlotte. In Indianapolis, the forecast is scheduled to be 60% chance of rain with 40% through the time of the scheduled race start. And in Charlotte, however, at 3 p.m. when the race is supposed to start, or actually 6 p.m. Eastern when the race is supposed to start, there is a 60% chance of rain and an 80% chance forecasted overall. And so unfortunately, that's all the time I have for on this half hour for Speedway Sounds. Follow the show at Speedway Sounds, all one word, on both Facebook and Twitter for show previews and your opportunity to ask my guests a question. You're welcome to use the hashtag Racing whenever we're talking about motorsport here at UC Irvine. Next week, a major update on Anteater Racing as they approach their competition in Lincoln, Nebraska. Up next, right now, Beer Ambassadors with Mikhail Woodward here on KCI. I'm Noah Stein, and thank you so much for listening. Always wear a helmet, and never ever drive distracted or under the influence. You're listening to KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and enjoy the greatest day in racing.